This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com smart. Hey, y'all. I'm Mary Payne Gilbert, and this is my podcast, Pain in the Pod. Today, I have my first ever double-dipper, two-timer guest, Erin Martin. Now, Erin, as you know from my previous interview, is a writer for Reality T and a frequent guest on Jenny McCarthy's show on SiriusXM, and she has a great podcast called Pink Shade with Erin Martin, where she talks about all sorts of pop culture and reality TV. But today, we're going to talk about her new podcast, Cult Talk with Aaron Martin. Now, y'all know I love a good cult story, so this podcast has me all fired up. Aaron, welcome to the show again. Thanks, Mary Payne. I'm so happy to be back. I can't believe it happened so quickly. I know. Well, you keep you know, putting out podcasts. I'm going to have to keep interviewing you. Yeah, right. I'll be, yeah, exactly. So tell my listeners the backstory of why you started the podcast. Like, Pretend no one's ever met you and doesn't know anything about it and explain why you started this new podcast. Well, I started Cult Talk with Aaron Martin because when I started Pink Shade with Aaron Martin, I talked, of course, about reality TV. And I also brought a little of my own story into it, which was that I was born in a cult called the Kobu, the Church of Bible Understanding. It was started in the 1970s by a very strange dude called Stuart Trail. He has just passed away uh, this year, October of 2018. So it's been around for a really long time. It's still around today, really, really small, but it was it was big in the 70s, as were a lot of cults, P.S. Um, it feels like the 70s was like the cult heyday, which is kind of <laughs> strange, but true. And my parents were caught up in that scene. And of course, they didn't know they were in a cult. They just thought they were in some kind of movement, some kind of church spiritual group. And they lived communally in it. And, you know, we had experiences and they got out when I was uh, three. But I, you know, I grew up with all ex-cult members and we talked about it. And it's just part of the fabric of our family story. So I, I'm fascinated in all cult things, all things cult. Like I'm, you know, many people are, but I have this connection to it on a personal level too. So I started talking about it on Pink Shade and people were like, oh my God, I want to hear more about this. And then I had some friends and some listeners and people in my family who were like, oh, you know, I would listen to your podcast, but I really don't watch, you know, Real Housewives of Orange County, but I want to hear about the cult stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I, but I, I've only got one podcast and I like to cover it all. So I just really started thinking, you know, what if I just branched out and did a separate podcast only focused on cults? I could still cover a little bit of culty stuff on Pink Shade, like documentaries and TV shows, which I still do, but I could do a deeper dive with people who've actually been in cults on a separate podcast. So that's what I did. Cult Talk with Aaron Martin is the full name, and it launched on Halloween Day. And uh, it's going to be an episodic seasonal podcast. So season one is all focused on, of course, the Kobu, the Church of Bible Understanding. The first five episodes are interviews with my mom. It's the first time she ever agreed to be interviewed. I think it's ironic, Mary Payne, that I'm back on here talking about this because last time I was interviewing about my podcast, Pink Shade, with you on Pain in the Pod, you asked me, you know, will your mom ever agree to be interviewed? Because we were talking about this, the little bit of cult stuff. 
and uh, and I was like, oh, I've been working on her, and yeah, and she and she finally agreed, and I was so happy about that because it really brought us closer, and it also opened the door for a lot more people to talk to me, you know, because it was like, well, you know, she's putting her mom out there. So all of these ex-Kobu members are reaching out to me. And Mary Payne, this is so strange. And you know this because you've been listening, you know, to my pod, my first podcast and then this one since day one. Stuart Trail, the leader, died just a week before my podcast launched. Therefore, we're in this very weird time with this specific cult where the the members who are left in it are kind of reeling and closing ranks, but ex-members who have never wanted to talk about it before are coming out of the woodwork. Because they now that he's dead, they feel maybe like they could speak more freely to you? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Well, I realized that he, I realized that he had died kind of around the time you were starting to interview people. And you say at the beginning, like when I interviewed this person, he hadn't died yet. Right. So there were a couple of people who were like, yeah, I'll talk to you. No problem. They were out about it. But since but since I launched and people have been listening and I launched a week after his death, more people have come forward. Like I have a list that's too long to even publish. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a few more episodes out. It's just, it's a one-on-one conversation with, you know, people who I think have interesting stories, who were in it at different times in their life, who have suggestions that really apply to anyone who's in an oppressive organization of any kind, because there is, there's cult-like behavior in a lot of different organizations. And so I think it can be a universal kind of theme that you can draw from a lot of these people's stories. But the tagline for my podcast is, you know, a conversation, not an investigation, because I'm not going deep into like the uh, the allegations or the crimes and things like that. We're talking about them through the lens of each person's experience. And I'm really having a conversation with like boots on the ground people who were in these things. Now, back to your mom, Judy. First of all, yeah. she, she sounds just like you. I know. We have the same voice. Even my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, used to mix us up on the phone when I was younger and she was younger because we used to sound more alike. I mean, when I was listening to it, I was like, now, hold on. I just imagine <laughs> her with, you know, looking like you. and sounding. Now, did you interview her in person or did you do it via Skype? Oh, yeah. We sat at my desk. She she lives here with me. Uh, not with me, but she lives in the same town as me. She moved out here from the East Coast after, oh, gosh, my, my daughter was maybe uh, four years old or three years old, something like that. She's lived here for four or five years out in the Midwest. But she, like me, is a transplant from out East. And we, you know, get together regularly. We spend days cooking Christmas cookies and things like that. So so I was like, well, you know, you could just come over for a couple hours each weekend. And she did just that. And we sat up in my little office and we had a microphone in between us and we had coffee on the desk and we just talked. Oh, I love that. It was great. I love it. It was great. And she loved it. And I was so happy for her because she was really scared. But there's nothing she loves more than talking and (laughs) telling a story, which I mean, please look at me. I started a podcast. But she, I thought, you know, if I can just get her going, she will just be off to the races. And she was. She could just go on and on. So I love that about her, that she was open and that she felt comfortable talking about this crazy time in her life. I think because it was so long ago that she's okay with it now. Yeah. I mean, she would have been out of it how many years? Oh, God. I, I mean, mean, 40, 35? 40 years. Yeah, like 35 years. Yeah, totally. So it was such a blip on on 
her whole life. So it's not, you know, I feel like um, James LaRue, who you interviewed, he wrote a book about his time in Kobu, he said. Yeah. And so for him, it's probably very right there on the surface because well, I mean, he was in it for like 14 years it was all through the 90s it was much later and the and the kobu got way way more strict and harsh as the years went by the 70s was sort of the heyday when they were still having fun a little bit of fun yeah if you can even call it that if you can even call it that but i mean at least they were allowed to get married and have children which is what really helps you leave a cult when you have a family of your own it's just a fact and then after Stuart realized that was really allowing people to have allegiances to other people besides him, he basically forbid marriage and children. And that keeps people dependent on you. Now, Catherine Armstrong, I loved listening to her because she kind of sounded like she could be my you know, best friend. How long, how long was she in it? And then how long has she been out? So she's been out quite a while too, but she was in it for a longer time. It was like a period of 10 years. But here's the difference between her story and James's story. She lived in only for a little bit or she never lived in, if I'm remembering. So living in means you live communally in the group and you are working for the business that the cult ran. The cult ran a couple of different businesses. So you worked for them. You went to the big meetings, which is what they call their church services. You wore the buttons. You followed the program 100%. So you were in a total institution mentality. Now, she wasn't in that, I think, because she went to the meetings, but she had a home of her own. She did get married. So she she wasn't as affected. And you can tell that when you talk to her. You know, there's, there's an interview that I have that was just published uh, in the last week, the last two weeks of December. There's an interview I published with one gentleman who you can really tell he was affected. And it's interesting because the different guests have different affects. They have different stories. They have different deprogramming that they've gone through. They have different family support. And um, they were also all psychologically affected differently. Yeah, I found that um, really interesting. And you put out a, a new episode with a guy named Todd Burroughs. Mm-hmm. And what I found interesting about him was – his very strong Christian faith, and he mm-hmm. said that the reason things like the Kobu are harder to deprogram is because they actually want to still be Christians, but they just don't want to be in this cult. So it's sort of like, you know, when I got married, I grew up Methodist, got married Methodist, and then we switched over to the Presbyterian church because my husband was Presbyterian. Not much of a difference. No big, no big deal. No, right? no big whoop. That's fine. But for people in the Kobu, they're like, wait a second, I have to leave my church. I have to leave my whole mindset, but yet I still want to go to church. And I I think uh, Catherine Armstrong or your mom mentioned that as well. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of an aspect I I didn't think about it much. What struck me so much about these three people that I've heard that they have in common is their strong Christian faith, which to me— is not typically what I think of when I think of a cult. I mean, unless unless you really think of like Jonestown or Waco, and those people are just nuts. So I don't know. It's such a different thought on a cult when you think, okay, this is a person that could just go to my church, and then they spin it all the way around to the other direction. Yeah, I think that's that's part of what I wanted to expose. Most most cults um, aren't the big salacious ones that we hear about. There are many, many, many that go under the radar. And each season of cult talk, I'm going to focus on a different one. And most of them are based in a in a well-established monotheistic religion. You know, and a lot of them, a lot of them 
are based on Christianity because Christianity is very easy to manipulate and it's very easy to um, pick and choose different things that fit your your cult leader. If, if you're if you're a cult leader, and you, of course they'd never call themselves that, but they call themselves prophets and whatever else, you can you can shape it to your whim very easily. It's you you can read so much about the cults that are born out of Christianity. I mean, if you think about it, the, I'm not calling these faiths cults, but Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they're all based on Christianity. They all have Jesus and then they're all based on that particular monotheistic religion. Um, you don't see this as much with Judaism or even Islam. It's really interesting and it's something that not a lot of people talk about. But when you leave a cult that is based on an actual more well-established religion that has many branches, there's no one more paranoid than that ex-cult member. Because it's like saying you're going to give up drinking, but then go drink beer. I mean, you're. it's like it, you can't leave it behind like you leave Scientology. You can't be like, this is all crazy, and I'm leaving it all behind because it's all a lie. You were taught a crazy version by a leader who wanted something else from you. They normally have some kind of sex crimes going on. They're normally they're they're taking financial um, advantage of you in some way. They are they're usually sociopaths, but they're but they're basing it on something that exists and and, and has different more pure forms out there that can actually be beneficial to you. It's extremely hard to deprogram someone from a cult like this. Yeah, that's what Todd Burroughs was saying about mm-hmm. how hard it is to deprogram. And it's interesting because I was just, while you're talking, I was remembering the podcast that came out a while back about Heaven's Gate. Yeah, and, there and, you go. Mm-hmm. And the guy that was the host of that said he grew up in a cult, but same thing as what you're saying. It was a Christian church, mm-hmm. but they were, you know, doomsday uh, seekers. They, they And he grew up afraid all the time of being beat and everything because you had to follow the church so strictly. It reminds me a little bit of the Jehovah's Witness idea. Right, right. And when it starts to infiltrate the rules you follow um, in the rest of your life. So, you know, religion does have different reaches depending on what organization you belong to, what faith you ascribe to, what your family believes. But a cult really reaches into every aspect of your life and it rules through guilt, fear, and shame. And you could say that about some religions too, you know, that aren't necessarily cults. But if you if you do a little bit of reading about cults, and I will be having a cult expert and deprogrammer on uh, in January or February to talk about this. She was in the Moonies. She really does a good job of discussing, but what exactly makes it a cult? There has to be usually a charismatic leader at the top or Sometimes, in some cases, a committee of people, but usually there'll be one person in charge. They're largely led by men, although we have seen some led by women. I think the Teal Swan oh, yeah. case is is a current one that people are looking at. And they, they create an us and them mentality that goes beyond regular religious beliefs. It's if you don't believe in this, every part of you will die. You'll, you'll lose your family. You'll lose your job. You'll lose your housing. You'll lose your – you know, it's – it's much bigger than that. Yeah, we see that a lot in Scientology. Exactly. You know, and we'll come after you. We'll destroy you in every way possible. It's not just that you believe in the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, and you never yeah. will, never will speak to your family again and they'll never exactly. speak to you. 
And also isolating you from your family is a huge part of it. And there are different kinds of cults. Like Scientology doesn't even make you live with them, you know. And the cult I was in, they actually literally physically isolated you from your family by rounding you up and having my parents and everyone else through the years live in these deplorable conditions while the leader lives a much different lifestyle. That's also a hallmark of cults, right? The leader is living a lavish lifestyle and the members are living in degradation. Right. I know that um, I think it was Todd that said he was living in an apartment in New York City with no electricity. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. They were often living illegally in different lofts. And, you know, in the, in the 70s, it was much easier to do and to get cheap housing in Manhattan, where a lot of these lofts were. That's where we lived. And just a, it was a different time. But over time, yeah, Stuart, the leader, he was just able to find these broken down places everywhere and just throw these people in there. And they were they were grateful to him to have this because he would go after teenagers and he would try to recruit people who were broken already. You know, it was it was very much like the Manson family. You know, Charles Manson looked for the broken people, the young people, you know, the cult that I came from, they never actually killed anyone or themselves, but it didn't turn into a Manson or a Jonestown situation. However, could it have? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it seems like these type of cults, it's it's not these type of cults, all cults generally are preying on people that are seekers. They're looking for something. They're looking for a group. They're looking for a, a meaning, a family. Yeah. yeah. The Kobu was originally called the Forever Family until they realized, one, it sounded like Manson, and and two, it didn't have the word church in it, so they couldn't become tax-free. So, yeah, they changed it. But they're looking for a family in a lot of ways, and it's, oof, it's the most dysfunctional family you can possibly be part of, but it holds you there because of those family-like ties, too. It's The sick genius of a cult is that, one, you don't know you're in one until many years after you leave, usually. So it's, it's of no help to tell someone they're in a cult. It's of no help for family members to tell their child, like, you're in a cult, you need to leave. It's yeah. just, it's going to keep them there longer. It's really a process of understanding that afterwards, because what they think is that, yeah, these are the people who care about me. It's like a, it's like joining a gang. It's a gang mentality in a way. It's funny you say that you can't tell somebody they're in a cult, because no. one of my favorite, uh, favorite quotes from my favorite murder is you're in a cult call your dad right um now I I always say that all the time I'm like call your dad you're in a cult unless your dad's in a cult like mine unless your dad's in a cult (laughs) you're in a cult with your dad is my tagline (laughs) if you're ever a real housewife there you go Um, (laughs) oh my god it writes itself now um tell me since the kobu leader died now Who's the new Kobu leader? There is no new Kobu leader because there was never any second in command. He always created infighting amongst the members, which was one of his ploys, one of his tactics, which a lot of people do. You know, a lot of not a lot of people, a lot of cult leaders do. They create, you know, t- a tattletale mentality so that you can't trust anyone. And he really did that. And there was never anyone that he trusted completely. And he's estranged, I believe, from his five children one of whom I'm really trying to talk to and I'm going to reach out to soon because he is definitely estranged from his father. I don't even think he went to his funeral. Wow. And um, yeah, it's chaos from what I hear. I'm on one ex-Kobu group on Facebook and there are questions posted regularly. Has anyone been able to contact anyone on the quote inside? Um, have you heard from any of these? I think it's probably only like 40 people. I mean, it used to be thousands, but it's probably literally only 40 people-ish now. And nobody has heard from them. Nobody can contact them. I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm hoping they're not all planning something. 
to do to themselves. I mean, I hate to say that, but you never know, you know? And so I'm just kind of waiting around like everyone else to think what's going to happen here. What's going to happen to Stewart's estate? Um, He had maybe like $8 million built on the backs of the slave labor force he he used with these cult members who would sign their paychecks over to him every week and he'd give $10 to. Wow. So it's, so it's a question mark. That reminds me of you're talking about the slave labor. Um, tell my listeners who probably don't know about the Seinfeld episode that was based on the Kobu. Oh, so it was uh, – so the one of the companies, one of the more prominent companies in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s was the Christian Brothers Carpet Cleaning Company. And it was Stuart Trail's bright idea. He was a vacuum cleaner repairman before he became – this profit in his own mind and sure. started the forever family. That makes sense. A vacuum yeah. cleaner repairman goes to cult leader. Sure. <laughs> exactly. In Allentown, because that's where things happen like this. Allentown, Pennsylvania. And he um, decided, you know, well, we've got to figure out a business because I incorporated this thing. It's not the forever family anymore. It's the Kobu. It's the church of Bible understanding. And we have to have some way to make money and for really for him to make money. So he began this. And because he did not pay his workers, he had them give all the money to him and he gave them an allowance of about 10 bucks a week. And I'm talking 10 bucks a week in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or 2000s. Like it never changed. Wow. So, yeah, in, in that sense, I guess my parents were living high on the hog with their 10 bucks back then. But well, they had 20. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 20. <laughs> And it went a lot farther. So, but he he started this, and it was it was kind of brilliant because they could outbid almost every other company uh, in Manhattan, and they would do office buildings and really you know high rises, and they'd get the whole building sometimes. And everyone was using them. They were the number one service for floor refinishing and carpet cleaning for a long time. But people started getting the sense like, uh, is this a cult? Because part of your job was not only to go refinish the floors or clean the carpets, but to bring someone to Jesus while you were there. <laughs> so, well, that's a natural. That's a, yeah, a natural so, flow. Right. It's just part of it's part of the full service that they offered at Christian Brothers Carpet Cleaning. So um, Seinfeld spoofed it in one of their episodes when George got a really good deal from the Sunshine Carpet Cleaners and Jerry and Elaine were like, George, that's a cult because this was a huge thing in Manhattan and everybody knew about it. But yeah, and they came in and they were like all glassy eyed. And the joke was in that episode, the episode is called Sunshine Carpet Cleaners. And you can look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious because I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, that was my dad. That was my dad. So but they won't they won't recruit George. And George gets really pissed off because he's like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be recruited by a cult? Like what? They don't want me. So, yeah, he's like desperately trying to get recruited. It's hilarious. But, yeah, that was that was my cult. (laughs) Those are my people. Those are my people. people. So when you say you grew up in Manhattan, it's not quite um, envisioning the uh, like the life of Bethany Frankel's daughter. Oh, no, no. We were like in a rat infested loft with one bathroom, 100 people living there and um, illegally. Totally illegally down in the Bowery District, back when the village was like a place where you didn't want to live, you know? Yeah, but you had your 20 bucks, so. Yeah, you had your 20 bucks, and you went and did your laundry in like the sinks, in the in the factory sinks. I mean, it was really, it was really a different time. And, and, you know, it grew over the years, but the conditions stayed pretty similar. And they had to move out of Manhattan, of course, as prices rose. And they went more into like the Princeton area. They went, you know, Baltimore. We lived there for a short while. And... Baltimore was a big 
place afterwards, Philly. Um, it's like the cities change, the times change, but the cult stays the same in a lot of ways. It just gets harsher over time, truly. Wow. So going forward, how many episodes are going to be of this season with the Kobu season one? And then what are your plans going forward of other things you're looking into? I think we'll probably do, I'm on episode 10 right now. So if you subscribe to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, you can have 10 episodes right away and they're, you know, binge them over the whatever, whenever you have, <laughs> you have a couple hours in the car, they're half an hour each. So they're short and, and they're just conversations. And I think I'll probably do maybe 15, 16 total for season one, including the expert I'm going to have on at the end. And I'm very interested in talking to her. And just to kind of tie up the whole season, I I want her to really, she's going to listen to the podcast and she's really going to speak to what's a common theme here. Because I think we're probably pulling those out as we listen and and as I interview people, but I I really want to hear from her. So maybe 15, 16 episodes. And then season two, Mary Payne, you know that I'm still like kind of thinking about what to do for season two. I'm definitely going to take a break between seasons um, and and put feelers out about who is willing to really speak to me. Because I want this to be a direct contact type of show. I don't want to be talking about cults. I want to be talking to people in them or who used to be in them, rather. Yeah. And I actually had Quiverful on my list because that is one that has gone under the radar. I really want to explore ones that haven't been explored in depth by huge organizations yet. I mean... I'm not going to touch Scientology. I'll talk about Scientology when I compare it to other cults, but who's going to do that better than Leah Remini? Right, yeah. You know, Nexium is already being explored really well in some other podcasts and in the news and on documentaries. Um, Jonestown is an old cult. You know, it's not around anymore. So it's it's those those things are just so much part of our zeitgeist already. I want to explore some that are maybe still going on in skeleton form. I, I love the idea of tying it into reality TV and we know Quiverful is uh, what the Duggars belong to. Right. So that interests me. There's also one in New Mexico that interests me because it's been in the news for some crimes recently. I don't know. You know, I'm always open to suggestions. I guess I want to, I want to do some that, that we don't know a whole lot about yet. Yeah. On your Pink Shade with Aaron Martin Facebook group, people are kind of constantly saying like, have you heard of this? Have you heard of this? And some when that I've heard of and some I haven't, like the one that said the world was going to end on May 21st. Oh my gosh, it must have been 2010. And then when that didn't work out for them, then they switched it to October 21st, which I was pretty mad about because that was my birthday. <laughs> and I was like, look, I don't want the world to end on my birthday. I mean, but it was, there was vans and everything parked by my house. There was a couple of um, people that we drove by daily that had like, you know, it's it's coming, it's May 21st. And lots of these people, it was on the news and everything. These people like sold everything, gave everything up. And then uh, Dan Taberski just had a podcast out about the Y2K. And this is not necessarily a cult, but it's the same thing. It was the doomsday people that, you know, two years before Y2K, you know, moved to Israel and gave up all their belongings because that they were sure that's where they needed to be for the second coming. So there's... Yeah, there's, those are scary. The doomsday cults are really scary, you know, for obvious reasons. Scarier yeah. than most because they do get that end date and they get that sense of panic. And then they... That's when you can really 
start going down the line of let's all kill ourselves, you yeah. know, because it doesn't matter anyway. And that's, yeah, that's heartbreaking. It's a little bit uh, the same with the Jehovah's Witness. And I love that Leah Remini did the one about them. Because, yeah, that was good. Um, like I told you, like we, we've known some Jehovah's Witness. And when my daughter was born, we got a book all about Jehovah because she was born. And I was like, hmm, this is a book I didn't look at very much. And recently I was cleaning out my bookshelves. And I was like, oh, 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 this is this is odd. Um, and, you know, and I think I'm like, oh, I think, you know, Prince was Jehovah's Witness, but he still died of a drug overdose. So he wasn't following it too closely. Yeah. Well, I think you can say that about pretty much anyone who follows a religion too. You know, it's hard to, yeah, it's hard sure. to, to hold them up to a certain standard just because they're associated with it. There's Jehovah's Witnesses who I, I talked about a little bit on my regular pot on, on Pink Shade, but They've come to my door frequently and I always talk to them and invite them back. And I, because I want to know more. I mean, I'm probably the only person who is like, welcome. You know, I'm like practically taking a microphone down there and they know I have a podcast, but I'm like, okay, so when did you get into it? Do your parents believe in this? Are you involved in any multi-level marketing schemes? Tell me more. Like I, I go crazy and they haven't come back in a while. They came back three <laughs> times. I think they, I'm, I literally am the only person who probably scared the Jehovah's witnesses off of my doorstep rather than the other way around. Like it's, <laughs> it's ironic. They're like, oh my God, that ex cult member who lives there is crazy. And you're like, and you're fine with me recording this, right? <laughs> I know. I want to be like wearing one of those like little spy cams. <laughs> but your ring doorbell has got the whole thing. Right, yeah. Right. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. That's hilarious. Well, listen, I appreciate you being my first ever return guest. So, I mean, if you keep putting out podcasts, I mean, you know, we'll just keep having you on. <laughs> I know. We'll see what's next. You never know. All right. So tell me as we wrap up this, if you've got any new podcasts you can recommend to my listeners. You know, what am I listening to? I'm listening to a really good true crime one right now that I know a lot of people are getting in on called Cold. That is fantastic. Uh, Michelle Likowski, who comes on Pink Shade with me sometimes, she's one of the producers on the Jenny McCarthy show. She's super into true crime and she got me into this and I saw a couple other people posting about it. It's, um, it's about an, a murder, and here's the fascinating thing about this. And Mary Payne, if you, have you listened to it yet? No, I've just okay, wrote it down. You're I'm going so excited. To, you're going to love it because they have something that I've never heard on a podcast before. They have audio and video footage of the father and the grandfather who are both really criminally involved in this because they kept extensive audio and video diaries of themselves. These two guys are psychos. Ooh. So it's not like other people reporting on them. You hear a lot of stuff in their own voices and it is like bone chilling. I texted Michelle the other day and I said, I don't know if I can even listen to this anymore. Of course I am. Like I am so invested, but it's called cold and I would highly recommend it because it has primary sources in a way that I've never heard before. Okay. Cold. All right. Well now I'm I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it. You're going to love it. And so tell my listeners where they can find everything out about you and now both of your podcasts. Oh my gosh. Well, Pink Shade with Aaron Martin is still going strong. I'm putting out one episode a week, sometimes two. And I have a Patreon page that you can sign up for extra inside dirt. You can also follow me, just me, and I do a lot of reality TV stuff on at Aaron Leah Martin on Twitter and Instagram, or join my Pink Shade with Aaron Martin Facebook group. And you can read my recaps on realityt.com. 
You can catch me on the Jenny McCarthy Show, Michelle Collins from time to time on Sirius XM Stars, and Cult Talk with Aaron Martin is on all platforms as well. You have to search the whole name. You can find me on Facebook, and you can follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram. All right. So I will talk to you soon. I'm sure we'll be texting about 90 Day Fiance this weekend. Oh, yeah. And it was good to talk to you. Thanks for joining me again. You too. Love you, Mary Payne. Thank you. Bye.